Anybody still remember me? <laughs> Those of you who are guests won't know what that means. My name's Randy. My wife and I are the uh, senior pastors of the church. Uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been working on a uh, Master's of Science in Human Resource Management and have not been up here much. Um, but we have an awesome team of folks, including my wife, who uh, teach and bring the Word of God to us. It's been wonderful. So you're actually going to see me three times this month. And then you won't see me again until I graduate in May. So enjoy if you do. Um, you know, something I was thinking about in my seat just a moment ago was the fact that, you know, we come on a, a Sunday morning and we have guests with us this morning and we have people who have been with us since we moved here. And, um, you know, we each come for a variety of reasons to a Sunday service. Um, <clears throat> I'm reminded that, that most of us are looking for God. And so my hope would be this morning that as we share, uh, as I share with you some thoughts, as I bring to you scriptures, um, that you would meet God and find him. Uh, I'm not perfect. don't believe there's anyone else here, maybe other than my wife who's perfect, uh, in the building. But um, I hope that you will be helped today and be able to go away encouraged. You know, it is uh, New Year's, not quite New Year's Day. Often on the very first Sunday of New Year's, we have a time where we reflect. Uh, every year around the world, people celebrate um, the New Year. And, you know, we like the New Year because it, it gives us a chance for a fresh start every year. Kind of like get to start over. The Israelites had that kind of thing. They had a seven-year thing, and then they had a 70-year thing. And, and it's about new starts. We can do it every year. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Most of us, as well, are aware of changes that we would like to see happen in the lives of those around us. And so um, <laughs> this is a great time for them to reflect and and consider ways that uh, they might change us. Um, anyway, for some, the change that they're hoping for is to lose a few pounds. For some, the change maybe is to start exercising or read a few books this year, maybe on your new Kindle that you got for Christmas. For some, the change is to spend more time with their family but in order to do that, they may need to spend a little less time on Facebook. Um, I'm none of you, I know, so I'm not. I'm talking about all them that we hope for, and and these are good. But you know, we need something bigger, something more cohesive than a few New Year's resolutions each year. For the last month or so, I have been in a section of the Bible for my devotional time that gives us some. I think, pretty tangible ideas that would be good to consider as we think about our need for change in this new year. So if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to grab it, dig it out. If you don't, it's okay. I will have uh, the, the scripture references on the screen for your help. Some people are visual. Some people are audible. Um, some people like to read along. We're going to turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter, it's near the end of the book. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. 
2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. Speaking of God, it says, His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through knowing Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus He has given us through these things His precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because lust and may become participants of the divine nature. In light of this, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. If these things are yours and are increasing within you, they keep you being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowing of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind, is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. I want to talk about these uh, verses and kind of expand on them a little bit. before. Papa, as we uh, do beginning of a new year, we are uh, somewhat reflective of um, things that we would like to see different. I know that for myself and I suspect for others that there have been New Year's resolutions. Wow, resolutions that have come and gone um, we hoped for. And I just uh, welcome you to help us as we consider these uh, various verses and uh, these ideas and themes um, to see something different happen this year. And so, Father, for each of us, I just welcome you and your Holy Spirit to be the teacher this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm a vessel. Um, I just welcome you to, to guard my words, help me to say that which is helpful. And uh, would you, Father, just um, bring these things into our hearts that you have for us today. In Jesus' name. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In uh, recent months, Clara has been teaching about grace, God's empowering presence, enabling us to be all he has called us to be and to do all he has called us to do. That's the power that's being spoken of here, that God has given us, that God has made available to us for everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that incredible? Take a minute, if you would, think back just this past week. What were some of the things that you needed? No hands or anything, just kind of thoughtful. What were... Some of the things you needed just this past week. You needed food, right? 
So you went over to Tio's and had breakfast this morning with breakfast tacos. No, I did not. Did you get food this week? Anybody go without food for two or three days? Probably not here. You need to sleep, right? Probably got it. Maybe not as much as you would have liked, except for those that are out of school right now. You needed relationships. Did you have time with people this week? Even if you're currently not having the best time in your life, were there any times this week when you had a helpful time being with or talking with or getting help from someone? We needed clothes to wear. We needed to be warm. We needed a place to sleep. You know, sometimes I think it's very easy to forget how much God provides all we need. So many things that we just kind of up morning go about our day and business of the week at sometimes just not remembering that it's God who has provided these things. Can we just take a minute and thank God for all that he has provided us? Papa, thank you so much for what you've provided. Thank you for this past week and this next week where you're going to provide again everything we need. Thank you, Papa. How does this grace, this divine power come to us? Peter says, it is through knowing him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Uh, Many translations say through knowledge of him. But most of the time in the Bible when it speaks of knowing God, they're not referring to knowing about him. It's not what provides this power. Knowing about God, reading the Bible, knowing there's a God does not activate this. It is relationship, real relationship with a real God. And honestly, that is probably one of the few most key differences between Christianity and any of the world's religions. We have been called by his glory, by his goodness, into relationship. I was touched by the passage of scripture that Esther read this morning. Uh, so appropriate, speaking of friendship, speaking of the cross. That's, that's what we're talking about here. There has been brokenness in our relationship with God. But Jesus came, the Bible tells us, to heal and restore that broken relationship. The key to life and godliness is relationship with God. Everything we need comes through that. But it must be learned. It must be cultivated. When Claire and I uh, first met, we were um, 19, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, May. You were You were 20. I uh, 19. 19, whatever. We were young. And you know what? We didn't know each other when we met. (laughs) Funny how that is. You know, even after dating for a year, honestly, we really didn't know each other very well. You know, and then we got married. (laughs) And you know what? We really didn't know each other very well. (laughs) Any of you experience that? Don't raise your hand. Don't elbow your spouse. But you know, at that point of those marriage vows, there was a commitment made 
And there was an increased volume of time and experiences that we began to share that began to deepen, to expand our knowing of one another and our love for one another. This week, Claire and I celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. I get to say that every year on the 1st you know, of January. Our, our wedding anniversary is the 5th. And you know what? Guess what? We know each other pretty well. We've had some awesome times together. We've had some challenging times together. But if after we had gotten married, after making that commitment, that covenant, we had simply spent a couple minutes a day together, a couple hours a week, we would not have grown to know each other, to love each other as we do. We would not have spent this last 33 years together. wouldn't have worked. Sometimes parents get caught talking about quality time with their kids because of challenges, lack of time. Quality is very good. But it does not replace quantity. Our children, our spouses, our friends, God needs quantity of time. Out. I understand that's hard to get accomplished. We wake up in the morning and room the day starts. The week starts. Life is pretty busy for most of us. But if it's true that relationship with God is the only means to a full and satisfying life, then we have got to get beyond the couple minutes a day. We've got to get beyond the couple of hours a week. It won't work. In a couple of weeks, our church is uh, going to be starting our annual 40-day fast. Uh, Martha mentioned that. Mariana is going to be uh, talking about what fasting is uh, to help us prepare for that. But essentially, the idea of Christian fasting is to abstain from something to not do something and replace it with connection with God. Don't do this. Let's do this. It's pretty simple. Yes, historically, fasting from food has been a common and norm. We advocate you can fast from anything. The goal is simply to put something aside that creates space or opportunity for connection with God. Over the last five years or so, those uh, that we've been doing this, there have been a lot of people who've experienced some wonderful changes in their lives, including one of my very good friends, Juan Campos. Sometime ask him about that. Five years or so, he made a decision to fast, to connect with God, and his life is not the same. And he wishes he had done it a long time ago. And I want that for each one of us this year, if at all possible. But in order to see it happen, we're going to have to spend time. We're going to have to put some things aside and create some place to meet with God. Does that make sense? Moving on. Through these things... 
God has given us his very, his precious and very great promises. Through what things? Through God, his grace, his empowering presence, through knowing him. Through those things, he has given to us his very precious great promises. Where is it that we learn about God's precious and very great promises? In the Bible. While we all know that it's through the Bible that we learn about God and his ways, some of us live having previously read it or heard others talk about it as if we've already gotten everything we need. But it isn't true. I mentioned earlier that I have been the last two and a half years in a a master's program. And um, one class in particular um, that I enjoyed a lot was uh, HR law. And um, did really well in the class. Um, Each exams were open book. You got a chance. You know, they were limited in time, so you had to know your material and find it. But did great. Then came the exam, the final exam for that course. And it too is open book, but we only had about 30 seconds per question. I'm not that fast. I didn't do well in that exam. While I had enjoyed the material, I understood the material while I was going through, I didn't retain it. And I have a certification exam coming up this Saturday. Um, And I am rereading my HR law book this week and many other books trying to prepare for that. To have said I read it once, I did that, been there, done that, relative to relationship with God, relative to his word, is insufficient. And and what I have found is that the more that I experience his grace, his empowering presence, the more that I experience knowing him, the richer and deeper that his word has become. The promises. I'm seeing promises that I never used to see there. I'm understanding things that I didn't used to understand. I, you know, Claire and I have been, uh, Claire and I have been Christians most of our lives. We're 53. And yet, we open that book and we go, look at that. I never saw that before. Well, not quite like that. And so I would suggest, if you struggle in, in reading God's Word, if you, if you struggle in, in understanding, if you struggle in it applying to your life, the issue is not the book. The issue is relationship with God. Getting to know Him Spending time with him, getting to know him in his word, having that a part of your life, quality time, will change what you're able to read. These precious and very great promises have been given to us so that through applying them to our lives, we can escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and our sin and may become participants of his divine nature. The power of God's divine life becomes activated in us as we get to know him more. Through the stories, through the truth, the principles of God's word, this activation of his divine power, however, is insufficient 
that life needs to become operative in order for us to fully be all he has called us to be and to do all he has called us to do. And in order for it to become operative, we need more than to have read it once or back when or last year. We need more than to have listened to other people talk about it. It needs to become a part of our time of knowing God. I'm startled, honestly, each time I open that book and make that time. I don't do it seven days a week. I have struggled with that all my Christian experience. But for over a decade now, every time I've opened the book, it has been alive. And I pray that it will become that for you as well. Then Paul, uh, Paul, Peter, transitions and says something almost contradictory. Here he has said, everything we need for life and godliness has been made available to us through his divine power. And then he says, in light of this, you must make every effort to support your faith. Everything's needed, but you must make every effort. That, I'm not sure about that. For some reason, the Bible has a number of paradoxes that are not easily rationally comprehensible. I think part of it is just to take us outside of what we can know to something called faith. One of those, of course, is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That he operated while he lived on earth, not with the power as God, but as a human being. So that when he faced temptations, when he faced angry people, when he got angry, He did that not as God, but as a human being full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he can really be an example for us. If he was God and did all he did as God, he is no example. Sort of, he's an example. He's a distant example. Somebody we can't reach. But if in fact he was fully man, empowered by the Holy Spirit and lived a life pleasing to God, then maybe we can learn to do that too. But he was fully God and that only fully God could pay the penalty for sin upon the cross. God is three in one. Okay, there's the egg, you know, Ice and water and steam, you know, but three persons, one? Church wrestled with that back in, you know, the second or third century and came up with some nice doctrinal statements that say it. and Some traditions say it really nicely, but it doesn't make sense. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, God the Son all working together on the cross and God the Father turning his head. It's a little challenging. But there's something there that's really important. Something that requires faith. Salvation is free. 
but it'll cost you your life. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. That's a, that's a good one. Here's, here's one that everybody really likes. God is sovereign, and man has free will. We have talked about that. I can talk to you about that. I believe I have some understandings that can help you with that. But that one, it's a little challenging there. Everything we need for life and godliness is provided by God, but we must make every effort. Doesn't that sound crazy? I once heard a quote that I've understood was said by a great Christian leader. And, of course, wanting to be responsible, I went to the Internet last night put the quote in, and, and found it being uh, identified to about five different great Christian leaders. So that's cool. So nobody really knows. Somebody said it once. and Anyway. Actually, they said it Augustine, who was uh, 3rd or 4th century, and probably could find it. If that's true, the only reason we have his stuff is because of writings, and we could find it. So maybe somebody will do that for me someday and prove that. If not, it's still a good quote. Pray as if it all depends on God, but live as if it all depends on you. Friends, that's a paradox. That's, that, we struggle with that. But I think the key here is to recognize that our effort is not to earn brownie points with God. Our effort is to provide a place and opportunity for God to work in us and through us. Having been with God, having been challenged and changed by being in his presence, we take action, we make every effort to allow who he is to become who we be. Grace is God's empowering presence not just to be a nice, warm fuzzy, though it can be that. God's empowering presence is to enable us to be who he has created us to be and to do what he has called us to do. There's an outcome of my having been with Clara all these years. I'm not the punk kid she married. Pretty selfish and pushing off her friends that she had to lose because I didn't like them. I've changed. She has influenced me, and I've influenced her. We have grown up better. And in the same way, being with God changes us. It helps us to know how we should treat others and love others. So Peter here gives us a list of some characteristics that we should uh, consider when we think about this idea of, of being changed as a result of time with God. And one of the things about Jewish thought is they often will do a list, and it never is exhaustive. It's simply a list to begin getting your thinking going. And so here uh, Peter has uh, eight things or so, and they sound language-wise in English a little bit like we're building on, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. But 
in reality, what I would encourage you to consider here is that these are characteristics like God. And that as, as we walk out our experience of being with God, of being changed by Him, we should see these kinds of characteristics coming out of our lives. And if we don't, we should kind of go, oh. <laughs> we taught on the Sermon on the Mount for a bunch of months a while back, a couple of years ago, I don't know when. And one of the things we said was, the, the typical thing with the Sermon on the Mount is to look at it as more legalism, more law. Jesus is now giving a higher standard than the Ten Commandments that we have to match to. And what we said about that, what we, as Claire and I wrestled through that material, what we grasped was, no, that which Jesus describes there is what we ought to look like. Having been changed by God, having experienced all that God's given to us, that's the kind of people we ought to be. And so here, these are not you know, notches on the wall. These are not weights on the bar. Add another one. It sounds like that in the text, but wrestling through it again this week. I, these are the kinds of things, when we don't see them, we should go, oops, and go back to God and say what? So he talks about adding to faith. Faith is Action. This is one of the things that I think is key. We often think about faith as hope. I hope something good will happen. I have hope that Jesus saved me from my sins. But in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to teach on Hebrews this next year, the chapter on faith in chapter 11, every single statement of faith in that chapter, if you go look at it, is action that someone took. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac. Faith in the Bible is not belief. Belief is belief. It's a little bit like grace is not mercy. Mercy is mercy. Deborah mercy. No. Um, Faith, when you see the word, have faith, it means to take some action. So when, when Peter starts here, make Every effort to support our action based on the words of God, he says, goodness. Goodness is a good thing. I like it when people are good to me. I don't like it when people are bad to me. I like it when I'm good to my wife. I don't like it when I'm grumpy and make faces and do things like that that are discouraging to her. So I need, when I don't see goodness, I need to kind of work on it. I need to reckon, okay, God, I need to go back to God. There's something missing here. So we get that going. And then he uses the word knowledge, adding to goodness knowledge. We do need perspective. We do need training and understanding. We do need the teaching from God's word. We need the correction that comes in our misunderstandings. We need to be growing in knowledge. Then he says, add to your knowledge self-control. 
Now, that one was a hard one for me. That was probably one of my more challenging ones, right? You know, not making that face instead. Only Gertie and I see. Hi. I'm not making the face. (laughs) Self-control. There are lots of ways and places and situations in our lives where we need to see the characteristic of self-control. Driving in the car. It's a good place to see how we're doing with self-control. Endurance. Adding to self-control, endurance. Endurance is more effort. It's making it past the hurdles. It's making it over the stumbling places. It's getting back up when we have fallen down. We need to see endurance being a part of the characteristics of God in our lives that's growing. Adding to endurance, godliness. Godliness and goodness are similar, but they kind of feel like they're a little bit higher. I'm good, but then I'm godly. I'm more like Christ. I like the band that was uh, a while back, What Would Jesus Do?, But what would Jesus do came out of who Jesus be. And being like Christ can and will facilitate characteristics of godliness. And again, when we're not seeing them, we need to kind of go back and get some more work with God on that, right? Adding to godliness mutual affection. That's kind of like being nice but we have to go beyond being nice to love. And love is described in the Bible as laying down our life for another person, considering the needs of another person above and beyond my own. Mutual affection is kind of like, I like you, you like me. We're good. Till you don't like me. <laughs> then I don't like you either. Right? That's kind of mutual affection. Love, however, though, is a mark way above that. It's it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter how you treat me. I love because that's who God is and that's who I'm becoming. And Peter says, if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Do you sometimes feel ineffective, unfruitful in your life? I do. But Peter says there's a way to see that change. And we change that. We see that change by taking action to implement these things and to continue to grow in them. If these things are yours and are increasing, that's what we can look for. That's a mark of being changed and transformed. And if we need more of it, it's okay. Let's go get some more. Anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. That one's a little pokey. 
Essentially what he's saying is, if these things are not being cultivated, if these are not the standards, if these are not the normal expressions of your life, then you're missing something. You're forgetting something. You need to go back to the classroom. You need more time with God. You need more time in his word. That's all. But be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. If we claim to be a Christian, then there ought to be some evidence to convict us. We need to confirm by time with God and looking at our own life and saying, would I be convicted of being a Christian? Not just how you are here, not just maybe how you are at home, but maybe how you are when you're alone. If we're missing the mark of these characteristics, we aren't bad. doesn't mean that we're not saved. doesn't mean that we're not called. It just means we need to continue to grow in them. What I believe this passage, oh, I missed one, sorry. In this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. I think one of the most um, profound declarations from the teachings of Jesus was a parable about some servants and one and a couple of them who had fulfilled what the master had desired. And the words that Jesus had the master speak of that individual was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Claire brought up the idea of what could be on our tombstones a few weeks ago. I'd like to see that there. I'd like to see hear that when I step across the line. When I was, uh, when Claire and I were about 29, we were on a missions trip to England with John Wimber and some other vineyard folks, and it was a great big, huge conference. And A lot of um, transformation was happening in my life at that time. Late 20s, good time for change. And um, I had a vision, an open vision, um, open vision. I saw a picture of um, of God uh, putting a royal robe around my shoulders, a, a crown on my head, and a staff of authority in my hand. And that was a pretty profound moment and, and probably to a great degree led to, at some level, the planting of this church and the ministry that Claire and I have expressed, that understanding of calling that I received in that moment. But that vision, that picture, continued, and I, I saw a picture of myself along with zillions of other people taking off our crowns and laying them at the feet of Christ, which I think the scriptures speak of. I'm not looking for lots of pats on the back. 
I'm not looking for a whole lot of attaboys. But I would like to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. And so I am learning to make every effort to add to my faith characteristics like we've looked at. What I believe this passage is teaching is that we are called to support our faith and commitment to God through intentional action that creates an environment for God to work in our lives. Good fancy Christianese word, sanctification. The process of becoming sanctified of becoming cleansed, of becoming like Jesus, is a work that God does, but that we also participate in by supporting and providing the context for God to pour out His grace and power upon us. Receiving Christ is supernatural, but it is not magical we too are to initiate action to give ourselves over to things that release the presence of God and release His ability to work in and through us. And friends, confession is a great place. A recognition of oops is, is a good place to be. If we will take that then and say, Oh God, Would you heal me? Would you free me? Would you set me free? Would you help me to whatever it is? We participate then to make every effort. And I would suggest that this is not works. It's normal, healthy effort. Richard Foster, author of the book Celebration of Discipline, says effort is not the opposite of grace. Works are. Works deal with merit, with earning. But our effort through spiritual discipline, as it is called, puts us into a place before God so that He can change us and build godliness into us. Sanctification occurs best when we remain in an environment conducive to change. If we go live as a hermit, the opportunities for having a bad attitude, hurting somebody, is not as high as when we're in connected relationships. It's in life's activities that God can work to both point out what needs to change and to show us where we need to make every effort. Through relationships with other Christians, accountability, drawing near to Christ, quiet times, Bible studies, Sunday services, fasting, silence, these things don't produce change in and of themselves, but they put us in the environment, a place where God can pour in His Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. 
a favorite theme of mine. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You also must make every effort, running in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. God calls us to spiritual discipline in our lives, not because it produces change. Only God produces change. Change is supernatural. But discipline is intended to bring us into the place where God can have the access to see that change take place. Dallas Willard, another uh, Christian teacher on the spiritual discipline, says this, a discipline is something you do in your own power so that you will be able to do something not within your power. Spiritual discipline is like physical discipline. You know, professional football players and basketball players are cool. But I'm attracted to Olympic athletes. There's this culmination of life and activity. doesn't matter what sport it is that's expressed there. But Olympic athletes don't get to the Olympics by being lazy or thinking that someday they're going to wake up and be on the list to go. Olympic athletes ruthlessly discipline their bodies, their time, and their relationships so that when they compete in the Olympics, not only will they win, but perhaps they will even run faster or swim faster or throw further than any human being has ever done before. They discipline their bodies, their minds, their time in ways that they can so that they can see something happen that they can't do, that they've never done before. For us, we don't have the power to break the grip of our addictions. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to love our spouses or our kids or our parents. We don't have the power to be completely free from materialism, the pursuit of things. So we practice disciplines of sacrifice, giving, service, frugality, so that when the real tests come, we don't fail, but win. One of the biblical patterns for change is described in Ephesians 4, 20 through to 24 by the Apostle Paul, Mariana. I guess referenced, uh, used this passage back at Thanksgiving, so here I am doing it again. I'm just going to refer to it, and David, I'm actually going to skip predominantly much of the next section. But here on the this part where we introduce this idea, Paul says in Ephesians 4, you were taught to put off 
your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Three parts to experiencing change in our lives. Putting off an old practice or a pattern. Being renewed in our minds and then putting on, taking on a new practice or pattern. Real change is more than simply stopping or quitting some action or behavior. Real change involves new thinking and the establishment of new activity, new practices. Many people try and change by quitting or stopping some behavior or action, but they never put anything new in its place. And and surveys say that predominantly people go back. It's true in life that in order to put something away, we must put something else in its place. Other people try and put on new behaviors and actions without ever getting rid of faulty thinking or of unhelpful patterns. But neither of those will work. They're incomplete. We need to put off the old practice. We need to be renewed in our minds and to put on, begin a new and helpful practice. And here at the beginning of a new year, we have an activity that we do. And David, I'm switching all the way down to the next section. You guys don't want to be here another hour. As we consider and think about um, this idea of welcoming God's presence, of experiencing his empowering grace, when we consider this idea of making every effort to reflect and see what's What's not right in my life? Where, where am I missing the mark? When we're considering those things, I, I want you to begin to think, what is it perhaps that's hindering you? What are those changes that perhaps need to be made? What are those practices that you need to put off? What, what are those things that are filling your mind that perhaps need to be renewed. Faulty thinking. Negative thinking. Low self-esteem. You know, much of the practices that we do, most come out of a place first of thought. Temptation comes first as thought. And when it is full grown, comes forth in sin, action. We need our minds renewed. 
What are those things that need to be renewed? What are those new practices that you would like to see put in place? Maybe you can try them for this 40-day fast. Maybe you can write these down on, you know, I'm going to put this off. I'm going to abstain from this for the next, you know, few weeks. And starting in a couple of weeks, but I already started because it's more helpful to just start at the beginning of the year for me. What are those things that I want to put? What are those things that I need to do? What action am I going to implement to take in place of that? I want you to take out, if you would, this red card that we have given you. We've used this exercise now um, for quite a few years. If any of you don't have one and need one, David's back here with cards and pens. You're going to need a pen and, and paper here. Just slip up your hand and he'll grab you and get one to you. You know, for those of you who have never experienced uh, this particular exercise or even something like it, this could be potentially very profound. But even for those of us who now have been uh, using this this model, it's David's one over here too. I, I would hope that this morning it would be powerful for you as well. And what it's going to look like is um, you're going to take a few, we're going to give each other some time here to write on this piece of paper. What are those hindrances that are thwarting us from being all that God would call us to be? What are those um, things that we want to do? What are those thought patterns that are inappropriate? And you're just going to write them on here. Please do not sign your name. And if you would, when you're done, I'll use this one because I already started folding it. When you're done, if you would please not fold it out so that everyone gets to read your stuff, but instead, please fold it in so that it's between you and God. And when I release us um, over here on your right, Um, is a small wooden basket. We'll have somebody there to help you. There are nails and a hammer. And we're going to hammer these to the cross. I I told this story to my brother this morning who's here for the first time to experience this. And um, that the first time we did this, uh, half dozen, maybe a dozen years ago, I don't know how long ago, um, I walked from the stage to the back of the room to kind of get in line with everyone else and as I was walking and hearing the strike of the hammer on the nails it undid me friends we nailed Jesus to that cross my sins did the reason he hung there the reason for those stripes on his back those thorns in his brow were my sins And this is a picture of that. It says in Galatians 5.24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So that's what we're going to do this morning. 
You're going to write on there those hindrances, those challenges, those sins, those patterns. No one's going to read these. There will come a time where they will be taken down prayerfully, praying for each one, not opening them and praying for each one. Ooh, look at that. No, don't do that. Leaders take them down and they're destroyed. So take a minute now, if you would. um, Reflect, pray. As you're writing, I would encourage you just to pray as well through them. And then as you're ready, you can begin the process of going to the cross, to nailing them there. After you do that, we have uh, some folks that will be serving communion. Communion is a time to remember, to reflect what Christ has done for us, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body. It's a good time to do this. Again, a time of confession, reflection. It's good. And then uh, we're going to have a few folks after that that will also be there and available uh, to pray with you. Let's try and get that line to come this way. Can we have you guys all move this way, come up across the front? I know you didn't want to stand in front of me and all that, but that will be better as we allow people to move uh, from the front towards the back. Two more verses. So then, my beloved friends, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And 1 John 1, 9, But if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from every wrong. After nailing your paper, receiving communion, if you want to receive prayer uh, after that, or uh, if you don't, then you can sit back down and just kind of wait while others complete. Worship team's going to be here um, for us. If later when you go to get your kids, you would like to talk with them and lead them through this exercise as well, you're welcome to do that. Just if people are still in reflection mode, that you would just kind of keep them a little quiet. If somebody's here, not here this week that you know will be back and would like to do this, we'll have the hammer and nails and papers over their neck for the next couple of weeks in case there were some that didn't get this chance to do this.
Father, thank you for um, your incredible gifts to us of life and godliness. Provision to us through your empowering, powerful, divine grace. Thank you for a chance to reflect, to consider, to turn perhaps from the past and face forward to new life that you have provisioned for us as your friends. Might you go with us now each, filling us with that presence, leading and guiding us each day this week. And might we be restored and renewed to newness of life with you and others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being with us. Great to have you. And uh, see you next week.